All right, you guys can all make your way back in and find a seat this morning. There's a new sheriff in town. We got a little Pharrell up in here on a Sunday morning. Pastor Chris retired, and then he started skipping church. So this week, I had a conversation with him. I gave him a firm rebuke, and, you know, he's back. He's back. Praise the Lord. Now, Pastor Chris and Karen had been sick, but Pastor Chris felt well enough, apparently, to be here this morning. So, welcome back. Uh, So, in the break, I played a song by Pharrell called Happy that probably, I would imagine, just about every one of you have heard here. It's a very, very popular song. It's played at every wedding, and it's played all over the place. That song has sold 14 million units. There's over a billion plays on the music video for that song on YouTube. And the song has a pretty simple, like hard to argue with message about being happy even in the challenging things that we walk through in life. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people are looking for in life is they want to be happy. There was a recent study done by NBC News where they interviewed thousands of people and the conclusion of that study was that of all the people that were interviewed, only 14% said that they were actually happy in life. It means 86% of people in America are unhappy. But almost everybody wants to be happy. So if everybody wants to be happy, a good question we should ask is, what does it take to be happy? If, if happiness is the goal or the destination, what does it take to get there? For some people, they would say, If I had this thing that I've always wanted to own, maybe a new house or a new car, then I would be happy. If I had this job that I wanted, then I would be happy. If I didn't have this job that I hate, then I would be happy. If I had this amount of money, then I would be happy. If I could be married to this person, then I would be happy. Or maybe if I wasn't married to this person, don't look around, then I could finally be happy. We could go through life chasing happiness, or we could actually stop for a second and say, what does God say about being happy? What does our maker, the one who created us, say will actually make us happy? If I could boil this message down into a sentence, I would say, happiness will never be found by pursuing it. It will be the byproduct of pursuing God. Happiness will never be found by seeking happiness, but it will be the byproduct of pursuing God. If you choose to pursue God with your life, happiness is going to get in the back seat and come along for the ride. It was God himself that said, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. We're going to look this morning at the first chapter of Psalms. As a church, we've been doing a reading challenge for the month of January, where we're going to be reading through many of the Psalms If you haven't uh, joined us in that, it's not too late to jump in. We have devotional booklets in the foyer. You can get those, or you can join us at FLC Community on Facebook, and there's a digital version there that you can get. It's not too late to jump in and join us. So let's start by reading the whole first chapter of Psalms. It's only six verses. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf 
does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Nor so the wicked. They are like chaff that the winds blow away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This morning we're going to go step by step through this scripture. But the first word that's used in that scripture is blessed. And that word translated actually means happy or joyful. So when he starts out this scripture, he's actually telling us this is God's way to pursue happiness. That's the title of my message this morning and the title of this series for this month is The Pursuit of Happiness. The first way that David tells us to pursue happiness is to decline. This chapter starts out in the negative. Happy is the man who doesn't. Happy is the man who is marked by what he doesn't do. Now, before you get upset and say, you know, the Bible is just here to tell me what I can't do, eventually David will tell us what the happy man does. But first he starts out with what the happy man doesn't do. I recently watched a documentary called The Redeem Team. Uh, in the mid-90s, up until then, the Olympics had a rule that professional athletes couldn't um, compete in the Olympics. In the mid-90s, that changed. And USA men's basketball presented the most dominant team that had ever been put together called the Dream Team to, US, to represent USA for USA men's basketball. On that team was Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Like it was all the stars of the NBA finally smashed together on one team. And they just completely destroyed the competition. Like it looked like a college team playing third graders. Like, it wasn't even funny. There was times where the score was like 143 to 12. Like, it was absolutely insane. They destroyed everybody. But then over the next 10 years, the world really caught up with USA in terms of men's basketball. Many of the stars in the NBA are from all over the world. So those players go back and they compete in the Olympics representing their country. So the, the competition, like, rose to the level of the U.S., so then in the early 2000s, there was an Olympics, and the USA lost the gold medal. They got bronze. And it was humiliating for these NBA players to be beat by these other countries from around the world. It was, it was horrible. So then they put together this team that was called the Redeem Team that was going to bring the United States back to its position of dominance in men's USA basketball. Many of the players that were on the previous team that lost were on this Redeem Team. But there was a new player that came and joined the team who had never played for the Olympics before. His name is Kobe Bryant. He's since passed away in a tragic helicopter crash. But Kobe Bryant joined the team. And this documentary is really a picture of these other NBA players learning what Kobe Bryant is all about. He is on a different level of competition. He is on a different level of preparation. Like He is a different animal than the rest of them. The team that lost in the Olympics, they were known for being partiers and staying out all night partying and having a good time, and then they lost in the Olympics. So they got back together for the Redeem team, and they started out like they left off. They went out, and they were partying. And they were coming back to the hotel the first night that the team was back together at 4 o'clock in the morning. Practice started at 10. They were rolling into the hotel at 4 a.m., and Kobe Bryant is there with his backpack on, leaving the hotel. And they look at him, and they said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to work out. Where are you guys going? He said, oh, we're just getting in for the night. Kobe had gotten a good night's sleep, and he was going at 4 a.m. to start his workout. They said, practice doesn't start till 10. 
He said, I know, I'm going to get my workout in before practice. And he kind of shook his head and left. They kind of laughed at him and they went to catch a, a little bit of a snooze before practice. A couple days later, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant have a meeting. And in this meeting, like Kobe is at the pinnacle. He's the best player in the NBA at the time. He's at the pinnacle of his career. And LeBron is up and coming. And these two people are supposed to lead the team. And they've been like arch rivals throughout the season. Their team's competing against each other. And these two guys got to get on the same page. And they got to learn how to work together, how to lead this team. So they have this meeting. And LeBron says to Kobe, he says, I'll do anything, absolutely anything, to not feel what I felt at the end of the last Olympics. So that feeling, he said, it's haunted me since then. He said, I will do anything to not feel that. Kobe says, if you want to feel the happiness of standing on the podium with a gold medal around your neck, waving the American flag, there's going to be some things you can't do. He says, you can't go out and party all night. So if you're going to be the leader of this team, you've got to set an example. You can't just make people laugh all the time. You've got to say some hard things to people sometimes that they don't want to hear. If you don't want to feel that pain again and you want to feel the happiness of being at the end with a gold medal, there's going to be some things you can't do. And that's what David is saying to us in this scripture. If you want to be the blessed man, if you want to be happy, there's going to be some things that you can't do. But he doesn't just leave it vague. He actually gives us three very, very specific things that he says the happy man can't do. And I want to look at those three things. The first thing he says is the happy man must say no to bad advice. He says he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. you got to be careful who you listen to in this world. There's a bunch of people that have a whole lot of stuff about what you should be doing, the way you should be living in your life. you got to be really careful that you listen to godly voices in your life and not just everyone under the sun. One of the things I've learned is there's two ways that I've seen people get themselves into trouble real quick. The first is they don't take advice from anyone. This is like a cowboy or like a lone ranger type of person. Like, I can figure it out myself. I don't need help from anyone. I don't need to hear what anybody else has to say. And if you are that type of person, you will get yourself into a world of trouble fast. And the second and just about as dangerous way to get yourself into trouble is to listen to everyone, is to filter all of the decisions you make through the masses of people. And let me tell you, everyone has an opinion on what you should do with whatever decision you're trying to make. And when we do that, we end up taking a bunch of ungodly advice and applying it to ourselves and getting ourselves in trouble. So David says if we want to be happy, the first thing we need to do is to say no to bad advice. The second thing he says to do is to say no to bad associations. He says, nor does he stand in the path of sinners. Standing, standing has the idea of lingering or the idea of staying for a while. If you find yourself staying for a while and lingering with sinners, it's probably only going to be a matter of time before you start to think and act like those people. It's going to be a matter of time before you start to be the one who's giving bad advice and the one who's making, encouraging people to do things that they shouldn't be doing. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, bad cor company corrupts good character or good morals. You've got to be careful who you're hanging out with if you want to be a happy or a blessed person. Jesus, one of the accusations that was brought against him was that he was friends with sinners. 
And that was actually a, a fair and a true accusation. He was friends with sinners. But Jesus was not friends with sinners so that he could become like them, so he could fit in with them. Jesus was friends with sinners so that he could pull them in his direction. And if we're going to be friends with sinners, which I think we actually should be, we need to be careful that we're pulling them in our direction and not letting them suck us in the direction that they're going in their life. And that can happen very, very easily. I think Jesus set a good example for us in this. There was the masses of people that Jesus was with. There were sinners that Jesus was with. But there was 12 people that were, he was a lot closer to and he spent a lot more time with. He was careful who he let in close. And then even beyond that, there was three people who Jesus was very intimate with. He was vulnerable with. He asked advice for what he should do. He let them into the places of his life and the times that he was struggling. And I think that's a good example for us is that we should interact with all kinds of people, but we're careful who we're letting close to us and who we're letting influence us in our decisions. And the third thing that David said is to say no to bad actions. It says, nor sit in the seat of the scornful or the mockers. And if you want to be popular in 2023, mock God. It is very, very popular for people to mock God, to laugh at God, to laugh at people who give their life to this God that you can't see. If you want to be popular, mock God. But as for me, I'm not going to mock God. I'm going to stand with God, even if it's in the face of being mocked myself. You'll have people say, like, well, that book is really old and archaic. Like, science has uncovered this, that, and the other thing. Or, or professors or scientists have uncovered this. And so we understand things on a much deeper level now. I'm sorry, but I believe the Word of God is true. It was true when it was written, and it's going to be true through the end of time. And that's going to be the place where I'm going to stand and I'm going to park my life. I don't care what society says. I don't care what science says. I know what God's word says, and I know I can stand my life on it. People will say things like, religious fanatics are stopping progress in this company, in this country. And that sounds like, okay, sure, like we would want progress. Like who wouldn't want progress? Who wouldn't want things to move forward? Well, I'll tell you, I want progress in the places that God wants progress in my life. When God wants to move me forward, when God wants to change something in my life, sign me up for progress. But I'm not signing up for every bit of progress under the sun. If being called old in my ways, if being called ancient in the way that I think means being tied to the cross, then that is where you will find me. I'm not moving from that. I'm not moving from God's word. That is where I'm going to stand and plant my life. So David says, blessed or happy is the man who has some things that he doesn't do. We have to have some things in our life that we don't do, some standards of I'm not going there and I'm not doing that. But then he moves from, from happy is the man who doesn't do some things to happy is the man who does do some things. He says, happy is the man who delights. This is in Psalm 1-2. He said, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. A lot of times, religious people will brag about things that they don't do. They'll say, oh, I don't watch those kind of movies, or, or I don't listen to that kind of music, or I don't uh, smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't 
go with girls that do. It's like, okay, well, congratulations. That sounds like a fun existence. I hope you're enjoying yourself. But oftentimes when I hear people seem proud of what they don't do, I kind of want to ask myself or ask them, what do you do? Like, that's great that you have some stuff that you don't do, but what do you do? What do you do? What are the things that, that you move forward in, where there's action in your life? Some people have enough of God to make themselves decent, but not enough to make them demonstrative. They have enough of God in their life that they look good, but not enough of God that he's actually Lord of their life, and they actually do anything in their life. They have enough of God that they get their butt in a seat on Sunday morning, but not enough of God that they'll stand up and shout and praise him, and they'll lay down their life for him on Monday through Friday. We need more of God. We need enough of God in our life, not just to stop us from doing stupid stuff, but to get us moving forward to his plan and his will and his purposes for our life. David delights in the law of the Lord. He isn't somehow doing this out of duty or out of obligation. One translation says his greatest pleasure is in the word of God. How in the world could a man's greatest pleasure be inside of a leather cover and some paper pages? Like, that just seems almost ridiculous. Like, how in the world could that be his pleasure? The happy man knows that God's word is a means to an end. What do I mean by that? The Bible is a pathway to encountering God. It's the pathway to interacting with God. I want to know the word of God so that I can know the God of the word. I don't just want to know facts and history, but I want to meet this God and interact with him and encounter him. And one of the places that we can do that is in the pages of his word. I'll give you an example. Um, when April and I were dating, there was a time where we were going to be away from each other for a little while. She was going to Ohio with her parents for a week, and I was back at Elam, and I was going to be, I was helping somebody build a house, and we were going to work like crazy over, over break, and I was trying to come up with some money to pay for school, and so she was going out there, and I wasn't going to see her at all. She had a cell phone, but I didn't have a cell phone back then, so we weren't going to be able to really talk much. So she came to say goodbye to me, and she gave me a picture of her. And I took this picture, and I, I taped it on the wall next to my bed. And when I would go home after working, I would lay in my bed, and I would look at this picture. Now, this picture wasn't actually her. Like, I didn't tape April to my wall. It was just a piece of paper. But when I would look at this piece of paper, it would remind me of her. I would remember times that we had together. I would remember how she smelled. I would remember how she looked. And then I would look forward to times that we could be together again in the future. There are times where the Bible is like that for me, where I, re I read the Bible and I remember, I, I read a promise and I go, man, I remember when God saved me from that thing that I was in the middle of, where I, I didn't see any way out, but God made a way where it looked like there was no way, no way forward. And then I look forward into the future and I say, God, I believe that these promises in your word are going to not only save me from my past, but hold me for my future. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When David wrote these words, the Bible that existed at that time was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
in Deuteronomy. So we have 66 books. We have the whole Bible. We have the whole story. We have the story of when Jesus came and walked on earth and did miracles and and died for our sins. We have all of that. When David says this, he's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, if you haven't read those books, Genesis and Exodus are pretty good. Like, there's some good action in there. It can keep your attention. You get into Leviticus, Numbers, it's like, wow. And David says that this is his greatest passion. Is this, these books? David said in Psalm 19, he said, The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them righteous. They are more precious than gold, more precious than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. This is David talking about those first five books of the Bible. The reason that David can see this, the reason he feels this way, is because he wasn't just reading words on a page. He was encountering a living God in those pages. We didn't come up with a reading challenge because I couldn't think of anything better to do. I couldn't think of anything more fun to do with your time. Because I believe that there is a living God waiting for you to encounter him in the pages of this book called the Bible that he wrote, this letter he wrote to you and to me. I want to draw your attention to one word that David used there. It's the word meditate. He said he meditates on God's word day and night. Now, when we think of meditation um, in 2023, we think of transcendental meditation, which is where you basically put your mind in neutral and try not to think of anything at all. I know some of you women think that's impossible, but it is very possible. But this is what transcendental meditation is. Like you make your mind stop doing anything. And that's kind of what we think of. We picture someone like, hmm, meditating like that, right? That couldn't be further away from what David is talking about here. When you translate the word that David used here, what he says, he means to consciously and intentionally engage the mind on the word of God, on the truth. To consciously and intentionally engage your mind day and night, on the Word of God. Now, whether we realize it or not, our minds are being programmed all the time by what we're consuming. And we consume a lot. We're consuming more information than any other generation that's walked on the face of the earth. Podcasts, TV shows, like, people can't even go to the bathroom without reading or listening to something. Like, that wasn't a thing back in the day, as it turns out. Like, But that's where we're at. We're consuming so much. And the stuff that we consume, it programs our mind. It changes the way that we think about things. I was talking to someone this week, and the person said to me uh, that her favorite show was a show called The View. I don't think I've ever really watched the show. Um, But it's it's like a talk show. And she says, I think she said for eight years she hasn't missed one episode of The View, like every single day. I don't really know what the view is or what they talk about there, but I do know this. If you watch something for, and she said it's like an hour long, if you watch something for an hour every day, it is going to have an effect on you. The way that whatever they, whatever worldview they have in this show, The View, whatever they talk about and think about the way that people communicate about things, it's going to affect this person. It's going to be a part of shaping her worldview and the way that she thinks about things. What David is saying here is if you can pick the thing that shapes your worldview, if you can pick the thing that shapes how you feel about life, if you can pick the thing that shapes how you look at everything around you, why not make that thing the word of God? 
Why not make that thing the thing that is life, the thing that can save you, the thing that can hold you through all the stuff that you will walk through? The Hebrew word that David used here means to mutter or to coo or to talk to oneself about or the low moaning an animal makes when it chews its cud. My kids pick on me. They say I moan while I eat dinner sometimes. I'm like, they're crazy. I don't moan, like, whatever. Maybe I do. If the food's good and I moan, lay off, all right? The picture that David is painting here is the happy person doesn't just read the Word of God. The happy person feeds on the Word of God. It's not just words that he's reading. It's nourishment to his soul. It's life. It's what he needs to live and survive to make it in this world that we're in. When I was a kid, I used to, I used to be on the go a lot. Like I had stuff I wanted to do. I had places I wanted to go. I had adventure I wanted to seek out. I didn't really want to stay seated very long. I wanted to go experience life. I wanted to go do stuff. And Things were a little bit different when I was a kid. Um, in the summers, a lot of times, my mom would give me and my brother a couple dollars, and we'd leave to go to swim lessons in the morning at the park when I was like, you know, 9 or 10 or 12, and she'd tell us to, to make sure we're home by dinner at 5. And that sounds kind of crazy now, but that's what all of us kids were doing back then. We'd run around the neighborhood and find hot dogs in somebody's refrigerator and be alive by the time dinner rolled around. So she'd ask me to be home by 5. So I'd get home at 5 for dinner, and uh, I'd want to eat as fast as I could and get back out to the next adventure. Maybe I had a sports thing I was playing that night or friends I was trying to meet up with. And she would say, slow down, Jonathan. you got to give your food time to digest. And I'm like, I don't got time for that. i got stuff to do. But she would tell me, slow down, give your food time to, to digest. It's kind of what David is saying here about reading the Word of God. Is He's saying, don't just read through a chapter to check it off your list. Like, okay, I spent time in God's word today. I'm good to go. He's saying, no, we chew on this stuff day and night. Take time to, to develop it, to process it, to figure out what God is trying to say. For me personally, when I stopped reading through God's word in a, in a hurry and started to meditate on it, what it did for me is it linked together the theoretical and the practical. It took ideas and concepts and brought them to a place of action in my life. When I think about God's word all the day, when I, when I read something in the morning and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about it and I have you know, some time at the parking lot waiting for my kids to get done with practice and I'm thinking about it, it takes those theoretical ideas and it helps me figure out what the action I need to take in my life is based on what God spoke to me in his word. Is it a promise that I need to hold on to and dig my hands into for some challenge that I'm about to walk through in the future? Is it a command? Is there something in my life that I need to do, something I need to put into action? Is there sin in my life that God just put his finger on and I need to deal with it and I need to repent and I need to change what I'm doing? It takes these ideas and it draws them down into a place in my life where I am required and confronted with action that needs to be taken. The third thing we see is David depicts. The Psalm 1-3 says, The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. 
Whatever they do prospers. David doesn't say the happy person or the blessed person is like a stump or a piece of furniture or a twig or a two-by-four. He says he's like a tree that's planted by the stream of living water. It flourishes, it grows, there's growth that is expected and natural in this tree. When you have a baby, you expect that baby to grow and develop over time, and babies actually grow and develop extremely quickly. Um, You take a baby when they're born, and and they should be in diapers, and that's normal and practical, but eventually they're going to develop out of that. If you take someone who's 35 and they're still in diapers, then we look at that and we're like, something is wrong. Like There's something There's growth that didn't happen that was supposed to happen there. There's something wrong there. The same thing is true when we're born again and we're baby Christians. We should be growing. There's growth that is expected like a tree that's growing by streams of living water. But if there's not growth that's happening in our life, then we need to step back and look and say, what's wrong here? Like, what's what's happening? What's the problem that there's not the, the growth happening in my life that's supposed to be there? And then this tree is also planted, and this planting speaks of permanence. It speaks of being stable. Um, I've always wanted to make it out west to look at the sequoia trees. I haven't yet, but I will one day. And these trees, part of the reason I want to look at them is, is this scripture, is they are so deeply planted and rooted that they can grow to such heights and be so massive. I mean, they're so big, you can tunnel you can carve a tunnel through these trees and drive a truck through them and it's not even phased at all like they're that big and that majestic it's amazing but there's a being planted that the scripture speaks to where we say in our faith i am planting myself here and i'm not moving i'm not going anywhere no matter what happens no matter what challenges i have to walk through in this life i'm staying here because i know that in being planted here, I am by the source of life. I can get the water, the nutrients I need in my relationship with the Lord, and I am not moving anywhere. This is the same idea with a different analogy that Jesus talks about in the New Testament when he says, abide in me. He talks about being connected to the vine, and the vine is connected to a tree. He's talking about staying in the place that God has you, staying in that place of connection where we can receive the life and the nourishment that we need. Life is full of all kinds of turbulence. Like There's all kinds of craziness that we have to walk through in this life. If you haven't experienced any of that yet, just give it a little bit of time, and it'll be there before you know it. When April and I are doing premarital counseling with couples, we'll oftentimes tell couples, you have no idea what life is going to throw at you. You have no idea what challenges life is going to throw your way. But you can guarantee they're coming. I don't know what it'll be for you, but there's going to be challenges that are going to to be coming. Everyone walks through challenges and hard times. And in that turbulence, what we need is we need the stability of being planted and rooted by God, to say, come hell or high water, I'm not moving, I'm not going anywhere, I'm staying in my commitment to the Lord. Whatever it is that I have to walk through, God, I am not leaving you. 
He also calls us to be productive. David says, this tree brings forth fruit. Fruit is very refreshing. If I'm working outside on a hot day, I love a cold apple. It's just so refreshing for me. That's kind of my go-to. And that is what God is calling us to be to the people around us. David is saying is that the happy person refreshes those who are around them. Is your life refreshing to the people around you? Or are you sucking the life out of the people around you? I think probably most of us have been around people that you get around them and you leave and it's just like, man, that was so refreshing. Like I feel encouraged, I feel filled up, I feel like I can do what I need to do. And then we've also been around people that you leave and it's like, man, it's just like they sucked the life right out of me. Like they sucked me dry. David is saying the happy man is someone who brings refreshment to the people around us. Don't go through life looking for other people to give you the refreshment you need to be happy, but go through life looking to refresh the people around you. And if you do that, you will find out that you will be the happy person yourself. In the Bible, there's uh, two famous bodies of water. There's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is, in, is north of the Dead Sea, and it's surrounded by all kinds of lush vegetation, farms, flower gardens. Like, it's beautiful. It's an incredible area. And then the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing around it grows. Everything around the Dead Sea dies. Nothing can grow, nothing is green, nothing is lush. The reason for that is salt water flows down. The Sea of Galilee has an inlet, and then the outlet is the Jordan River. The salt water flows down into the Dead Sea, and then the water evaporates, but the salt stays behind. So the Dead Sea is super, super high in salt content. And if you know about plants at all, if, you've if you want to kill a tree, you dump a bunch of salt on it, and it'll die. So because of that, the Dead Sea, nothing grows around of it. Nothing grows around it at all. Two pictures of two famous bodies of water in the Bible and two pictures of two lives that can be lived. The Sea of Galilee has inflow and it has outflow. And surrounding it is lush, green vegetation. It nourishes everything around it. The Dead Sea has inflow, but it has no outflow. And because it has no outflow, it literally sucks the life out of everything around it and kills everything around it. What does your life look like? Does it look more like the Sea of Galilee that nourishes everything around it and everything around it grows and is lush and beautiful? Or does your life look like it's kind of sucking the life out of stuff around you and it's killing the stuff around you? He also says, whose leaves will not wither. And what this speaks to is the happy person or the blessed person doesn't give up. You're going to go through hard stuff in your life, hard times, but the happy person, David says, is someone who doesn't give up and doesn't quit when you find yourself in the middle of a challenge. And this morning, if you find yourself in the middle of a challenge and you want to become that happy person, I'm telling you that one of the keys is to not give up. Don't quit in the place that you're at. God's not done with you yet. And then the last thing, David kind of turns a corner here, and now he says the happy person 
differs. This is in verses 4 through 6. He says, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here David is comparing the happy person with the wicked person. He, he spends the first uh, half of the chapter saying, this is this guy who's blessed and happy. Then he says, but then there's this other guy over here, and not so much there. Like, he's got some stuff going on that's not so good, not so happy, not so blessed. He calls him like a pile of chaff. And chaff is the garbage that's left over after threshing wheat. So you take wheat through this process to have a part of it that's left that's valuable, and the chaff is what's left over. The chaff is what you hope just blows away into the woods and into the weeds so you don't even have to bother disposing it. It's rubbish. It's worthless. This psalm could be filtered down into the first word and the last word of the psalm, the first word being blessed and the last word being perished. Two words, two lives lived. Does your life look like a life that's blessed? Are you happy? Or does your life look like a place of death, of perishing? There's a story told about a man who was depressed. He was in a hard place, and he decided he was going to take off the afternoon and go fishing. That was what he always did when he needed to kind of reset and get himself back in a, in a good place, in a good state of mind. He could get away from all the noise and just go fishing. So he went to this body of water that was still, it looked like glass, he used to always go there. He spent the afternoon fishing. But that afternoon he didn't catch anything. And he just was like, okay, to add insult to injury, I'm not even going to catch any stupid fish. Like this just is horrible. So he packed up his stuff and got ready to leave. And as he went to leave, he walked by the edge of the beach, and on the edge of the beach, right where it met the water, there was a bunch of smooth stones that had be, they'd become smooth from the, the waves just lapping up on the shore for how, however many years. These smooth stones, and he looked down at them, and he remembered when he was a kid, he used to pick up stones like that and skip them across the water. And he remembered how free he felt as a kid and how much joy he had as a kid. And he thought, maybe skipping stones will be the answer for me today. So he picked up the stones and he started skipping them across the water. And it was kind of fun. And he skipped some more and then eventually he decided to count how many skips he got. And first he'd get eight skips and then he got, eventually got up to 10 skips. Then he got up to 13 skips and he thought, I wonder if I can get 15 skips. So he's throwing that stone as hard as he can trying to get to 15 skips, but he couldn't. He couldn't get past 13 skips. He picked up one more stone. He was going to skip it again and he thought to himself, I'm not going to get past 13. He took it and he just smashed the rock on a bigger rock that was on the ground. He looked down at the rock and he thought to himself, that's exactly what my life feels like. The rock that he had picked up out of the water was completely saturated when, it picked, when he picked it up. It looked like it was saturated all the way to the core, but when you broke it apart, it was completely dry on the inside. And he looked up to God and he said, that's how I feel like my life is right now. I'm just dry on the inside. And you know, I wonder how many of us this morning are in that place where our life looks saturated. On the surface, it looks like we've got a lot of good stuff going on. 
You got your house the way you want. You just had your perfect family Christmas pictures. You've been in church. You hear the word of God. You even sing a worship song a little bit. Maybe you're doing the Bible reading program, but inside you feel dry as could be. You read the word of God, but you haven't been actually finding the God of the word in that word. This morning, I'd like to just make opportunity for us to say, God, I want to recommit my life to you afresh at the beginning of 2023. I don't want this year to be like last year was. I feel so dry on the inside. I need a fresh touch from you, God. I need to meet with you. I can't read the Bible and not find you in it. I have to find you in it. I need an encounter with you. I need a fresh touch with you. What does your life look more like? Does it look more like the blessed or the happy person? Or does your life, when you're really honest, when you're at the core of what's going on in you on the inside, does it look more like a pile of chaff? I have really, really good news for you. We serve a God who loves to take that which is broken, that which is dry, and breathe life into it. And he's here this morning to meet with you. So I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm just going to open the altar this morning. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to just say, God, I'm not going through this year the same. I want to commit myself to you afresh this morning that this year would be different. I'm asking you to take this dry, broken life and breathe life into it. I want to be the happy person. I want to be the blessed person. I don't want to suck the life out of the people around me. I want to nourish the people around me. But if I'm going to do that, I need the living God inside of me. So I'm just going to open the altar this morning. If you want to uh, just respond and say, God, I know that what it means to actually be happy is to be fully surrendered to you. I'm not going to worry about what the world says is going to make me happy. I know you made me. You know better than anybody what will actually make me happy, what will actually satisfy me. So I'm freshly surrendering myself to you. Lord, we just come to you this morning. Of course, each one of us want to be happy. What person doesn't want to be happy? But Lord, we also know that just there's people all around us every day that are spending their entire lives chasing happiness, but never seeming to possess it. Chasing after this thing that they think will satisfy, but when they get there, that thing doesn't make them happy either. A new wife, a new husband, a new car, a new house, a new job, a new whatever. And it seems like it's going to bring happiness, but then we get there and we're still empty on the inside. Lord, it's because we were made to be connected to you like a tree planted by water. Lord, we know inside of us that that's the only thing that's going to satisfy is you. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you afresh at the beginning of this year. And, Lord, we ask you to come and meet with us in that place. Come heal the places that need to be healed. Come restore that which is broken. Come do what only you can do, God. If you need to go this morning, I'm just releasing you. Have an awesome week. But if you want to respond and you want to come to the altar and say, God, I'm surrendering to you afresh. The altars are open and we'd invite you to come.